Welcome to the Poets and Philosophers Podcast. My name is Abe. I'm here with my brother Sam, and we talk about the great ideas, we read the great books, and hopefully we'll have a great conversation. Today, we're going to talk about Sam's paper he just wrote for one of his classes. He's getting a PhD from uh, Faulkner University, and so he wrote this paper. And so, Sam, uh, what is this paper, and uh, what class did you write it for? So I wrote this paper uh, for my scholarly inquiry class. Uh, It's pretty much just a class to help. It's like the introductory class. So there's this class and there's also humane learning. I've already taken humane learning, but this class just helps us understand what the scholarly method is. We actually, in this paper, we had to include one, um, one article from a language that's not in English and I, I included Italian because I know Romanian is very close to Italian, and I could kind of fake my way through it with Google Translate. And he actually suggested using Google Translate. I, I thought it was it was very silly or a silly requirement, but I kind of do understand the requirement does help aid some of your credibility, and it forces you to kind of learn in the language. Anyways, this class is helping us. Uh, figure out the scholarly method and include not blogs, not just you know various poor secondary research, but um, or secondary sources, but really primary resources. Also, we have to engage. I think it was eight authors from the great tradition. Um, so that's where you see I, I talk about Hegel or. Uh, Pascal, um, I forget all the ones I used in this paper, but um, anyway, so so this paper was was for that class, and we're really allowed to write the paper on any topic we would that we've you know that we would maybe write our dissertation on. And I am thinking about writing mine on Kierkegaard in some way. Um, right now, I'm thinking about <laughs> right now. I'm thinking about moral formation or what does it mean to build character how how do you communicate morality to facilitate the cultivation of character something like that um anyways so this paper is titled getting the hang of being human carl rogers misreading of kierkegaard's the sickness unto death and abe did you ask me what i try to do with this or uh, what is no, this no, about? we were just kind of talking about the whole thing as far as uh, the paper and such. But yeah, I think it's important to kind of talk about like what with this essay in mind, like obviously you have something to do with Kierkegaard and Carl Rogers and kind of um, combating them or like, you know, show how they're how he misreads Kierkegaard. So I think it's worth doing is like what were you trying to do with this essay, but also to talk a little bit about. Carl Rogers and his relationship to someone like Kierkegaard, I think it's pretty important too, because I think you do, you definitely develop that in, in the paper. Sure. Uh, yeah. And thank you, Abe, for reading it. Cause I know that some of these papers are not the, the most enjoyable to read, but thank you. If for I have it. time, like I definitely like reading them and I can definitely tell that you are getting, uh, you, I'll say this, your papers are getting easier to read as you've gone okay. through this PhD program. Like there are definitely some that I'm like, oh boy. Um, but I think you're, you're really <laughs> developing and uh, you know, it works out. And so I, I thought this was good. Uh, this one I think made me more sympathetic toward Kierkegaard. And I, at first I didn't want to touch the dude. Not at some point I will. I, I knew I was going to, but now I'm like, you know what? Uh, Cause Sam likes this guy so much, which is really odd. Why not? Why not just pick up one of these books? So I'll, I'll see if I can get a book recommendation from you on Kierkegaard after this is all over. Um, but tell us a little bit about Carl Rogers and who this dude is. Yeah. Anyways, yes. Thank you, Abe, for um, reading it. So with the Jor- Jordan Peterson craze, I mean, everyone's talking about Jordan Peterson. I know that Jordan Peterson has recommended Carl Rogers um, and I had lists, you know, through, uh, audiobooks. I'd listened to Carl Rogers's, um, on, I think it's called on becoming a person. I have it over here on my shelf. 
And the second one is a way of being. I, I listen to those. I, you hear Kierkegaard's influence on Carl Rogers and also um, in various secondary resources that I've read um, on Kierkegaard. They talk about Kierkegaard's legacy and how Carl Rogers talked about his uh, influence of Kierkegaard. Anyways, I was like, man, I'm going to write – and I have somewhat of a favorable view of Carl Rogers before this paper – I didn't title the paper, He Misread Him. I was just going to find out what is their connection. I knew he was like humanistic, atheistic, and so I, I didn't think he was going to have too much about – he wasn't going to be too um, approving of Kierkegaard's whole project. But I, I just knew there was a intersection, and I, and I was going to look at it. Um, so that's kind of why – I, uh, I started researching Carl Rogers. Ultimately, for those that don't know about Carl Rogers, he was a, a psychologist, and he grew up in a home that was very um, religious, uh, so religious. I think he talks in one of his papers where even like um, carbonation was a sin, <laughs> like there was very strict, strict in their diet, strict in their, uh, you know. He put dirt in uh, that meal. Yeah, he put dirt in his oatmeal, um, as the Puritans may have, but it's likely that they ha- hadn't have. I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know why we I, I'm that. pretty sure they did not do that. I've been reading about okay. the Puritans lately, and no. <laughs> not the ones that I've read That's about. That's kind, of kind of an inside joke. But um, he grew up in a home that was very strict. And when he went to Union Theological Seminary, he went to a class that he – that him and a bunch of other students got together and they said, how about we have a class that we lead it and we decide the subject matter. And the department agreed and they had a class and I forget what it was called, but it was like, why be a seminarian or why be in seminary? And it was that class that had Carl Rogers leave. And he was like, um, uh, I, uh, he, he ultimately left the faith, uh, was an atheistic. I don't think he was ever militant other than, um, the fact that there's a hierarchy in religion and he thinks that everyone should be equals. And that kind of goes into his psychology and really what this, his psychology is this, and it's called, um, client uh, centered therapy. Um, and it's really where you go and you talk to a therapist and the therapist first sets up the environment where he is very accepting and it has this very non-judgmental stance towards the client. And what uh, Carl Rogers thought the issue was, and all of his, he was asked, hey, Carl Rogers, if you were to say that there is one problem underlying the human condition, what is it? And Carl Rogers would use Kierkegaard's phrase, they struggle to be the self, which they truly are. You know, to, uh, to be that self, which one truly is, that is the task of the human being, and that is where a lot of people fail. And um, anyway, so... Carl Rogers' project was about being a very listening, um, compassionate, empathetic person to listen to the client and to help that client accept himself. And that therapeutic relationship, I'm sorry, that therapy-client relationship would be therapeutic. And he uses Kierkegaard because Kierkegaard does talk about Becoming this self, which one truly is, um, and this idea of self-actualization or this idea of being authentic, appropriating the truth. Kierkegaard talks a lot about that, and um, I, I go in my paper and I pretty much establish that um, there's a strong relationship between Carl Rogers and Soren Kierkegaard. But even Carl Rogers says, all of my ideas I have gotten from 
uh, from my counseling sessions. They're all empirical. The only thing I, the only insights I ever gain in books, they only validate or they only affirm what I already believe. Um, so he never, he didn't really think too highly of reading. Um, he thought everything was going to be, you know, experience is how we learn kind of in, you know, John Dewey and, um, his John Dewey and, um, who's the other, uh, James, uh, William James. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, um, that's, that's, that was my project. How, how does Soren Kierkegaard influence Carl Rogers? Is it a good relationship? What, what exactly was Carl Rogers's project? And what I found out was Carl Rogers's project was atheistic, humanistic, and by humanistic, it's like you yourself just need to self-actualize. And uh, yeah, I think for those people who are listening, they could probably feel a lot of Carl Rogers' um, legacy on today's pop psychology and everywhere. And I think that's probably why people have a suspicion towards someone like Kierkegaard because they know about this whole like follow your passion and become who you already are and i mean that's like this that's that is right now at least that's like the uh in in a lot of comics it's the female superhero trope you know um for uh captain marvel so like captain marvel was a movie that came out and like she had this inhibitor chip on her that like inhibited her powers um and it's not until she realized somebody was inhibiting her power, she like destroyed the inhibitor chip and then becomes like this perfect being of and, – and, and you know, she's like the most powerful being in the entire Marvel universe. But what was holding her back, she just, re- she just did not realize other people were holding her down. And when she stopped living for everybody else, then she could truly become who she's supposed to be. <laughs> So that's like the frozen plot, you know, you oh, just yeah. have to let it go. Yeah, exactly. So like, I mean, that's exactly there's so it. many, there's so many times where this, that story is retold over and over again, especially, um, younger people, impressionable people. Yeah. So I, my introduction to Rogers was in, uh, undergrad because I had a minor in behavioral science. That's what it was. So I took a therapy class. I took a behavioral psychology class and a few other things. And I do remember studying about Rogerian therapy and how like you are locked up as a therapist to where you really aren't supposed to say much of anything other than affirming everything that the person says and being there, like basically just being their yes person. Like you just say yes to everything they're thinking of and you help them become themselves. And I think what's interesting about that approach is that there's actually can be a lot of benefit to that. Because sometimes whenever you've probably felt this, you know, you're, you're just like, you're not really sure what to think about. And you just find somebody who is willing to listen to you, just go through it all. And they might not even be listening, but in the act of yourself, just untangling your own thoughts, you go, oh, now the problem, the solution seems so clear. Thank you so much for listening. That was really helpful. The person walks away like, I have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And that's. I really don't want to discredit everything Carl Rogers stands for because I, I do agree that it's very helpful. Like one thing that, um, you know, me and uh, my wife sometimes talk about it where we're not as fast as we used to be. And that's pretty upsetting, you know, and what Carl Rogers would do if he was like, Hey, you know, Sam, I know you're frustrated that you're not as fast as you used to be. Um, but just accept yourself. I think that's very helpful. Um, or, oh, I, I, I never used to have arthritis in my, my knuckles. Or, or my knees didn't used to hurt, and now they are, and it's so frustrating, and, and I'm tired. It's like, well, give yourself some slack. Accept yourself. Like, there's a validity to it. And one thing in this classical tradition that we have to be able to do is eat it and spit out the bones. And there's going to be parts of Carl Rogers that are pure bones that we need to spit out. But there's a part of him, and I'm not discussing that in my paper, but there are, there are parts of his, his, you know, to have a listening disposition to, to really know people. 
that's very good and it is therapeutic but there's a point where it is it is um accepting sin or accepting something that is immoral that um that i think you have to have a position of you know to judge it whether it's right or wrong anyways yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not saying everything Carl Rogers said was, was bad. Yeah, I think I it's think. part of the, the humanist project is that there are a lot of great things about an atheist humanist, but it's not what it's not so much of what they're for in those instances. It's what they're lacking in those instances. What make, what makes that position really horrifying in the grand scheme of things to be, to try to be good without God and to know what good is without a God. Um, but yeah, so that was good. So, you know, a lot of what you had to say is that, you know, they're both psychologists. And even though a lot of people didn't, or uh, Kierkegaard didn't really consider himself a psychologist, you cited several uh, prominent people who agree that he was a psychologist. And one of the things psychologists kind of mess with and, and deal with is as they work is they worry about people's struggles and what what people have to overcome and what people everybody has to deal with. And so what do you think is that universal struggle that both maybe Kierkegaard has to deal with and what does Rogers think it is? Uh, Kierkegaard might call it, uh, he calls it despair. And it's where you have yourself. So there's, let's talk about Sam Peters right now. There's who Sam Peters was today. But there's also who Sam Peters aspires to be, right? And I am not in harmony with that person. I am living in the gap between who I am and who I want to become. Um, and everyone struggles with that. Some people dream so much. They want to become so much. And they can't stand it. They don't have the resources to become what they aspire to be. There are some people who... <laughs> who don't, um, and this is really the part where I'd argue with Rogers, but there are some people who don't dream, who don't dream enough, and they actually hit it dead on. Um, but they're actually in a misrelation between their selves and their, Kierkegaard calls it their theological self. Um, it's that self that God calls you to be. Um, and it's, it, it's your vocation, it's your calling. And so the, the, so everyone's intention with that feeling of who I am and that feeling of who I need to be or who, who I aspire to be. And we're living this tension and that's what everyone deals with. And Carl Rogers says, and that's what he means when he says to be that self, which one truly is. It sounds very odd. Um, I know, uh, uh, Nietzsche said it, um, but Kierkegaard, even before him, he says uh, it, in his book, The Sickness Unto Death, um, to be that self which one truly is. Um, we need to will to be the self which one truly is. Um, and, uh, and So it seems like with Kierkegaard, that behind the background of saying to be the one who tr one should truly be, in that background, Kierkegaard is assuming that there is a God who is calling you to be that particular role. Like that, that thing who, that, that being that you must be is a God ordained thing. Whereas someone like, uh, Rogers would be like, no. Correct. And that is why whenever I tell someone that I'm interested in Kierkegaard, they say, Oh, existentialism. And I'm like, uh, not really. Because while he is talked about as the father of existentialism, and I think existentialism, existentialism is probably best characterized by, let's say, Jean-Paul Sartre or um, Albert Camus, Nietzsche, um, and uh, Albert Camus has this idea of uh, existence precedes essence. And I don't know if I need to go into this right now. Um, I, I'm realizing that this is going to take a while to develop. That's fine. But I mean, I, 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 yeah, keep going though. Maybe we should do a podcast on 
all the different misconceptions people have on Kierkegaard. <laughs> and then every yeah, time may, you have that discussion, that you just be like, hey, go listen to my podcast episode, you know, number that 27. There you go. Very helpful. Or you could write a um, book, you know, that'd be a good book project. Yeah. yeah. Um, right now, actually just two months ago, a book was published and my favorite scholar on Kierkegaard, uh, Stephen Evans, um, he published an essay. Um, one second. His essay is act. It was going to be titled "Why Kierkegaard is Not an Existentialist," but I think it got retitled um, "Kierkegaard: The Father of Existentialism or Critic of Existentialism?" Um, question mark. And he argues that Kierkegaard is a critic of existentialism, but it's just this idea that. Existentialists believe you do not have an ideal self that you strive to be. You have to create it. An essentialist, which is the classical understanding, an essentialist says when you are made, you have a telos inside of you. And it is your role to actualize that telos, to, to, to actualize that potential. So that is a classical understanding, and I think we've talked about that before on our podcast. This, you know, the four causes of Aristotle. Um, we all were designed for a purpose, and even individually, we were all designed for a purpose. And um, not to go too much into this, but uh, Dun Scotus believed in something called um, Dun Scotus believed something called. Um, it's where you individuate your essence. Your body individuates your essence. So you actually have a distinct telos than like me and Abe. Like we, we have a different telos um, because our bodies individuate us in our essences. Um, anyways, Kierkegaard thought that God had a name for every soul. And your role in life is to find that name. It's a unique name to you. And... Carl Rogers does not believe that. He thinks that you need to make up your own name and you know express yourself and make sure you never regret anything. Yeah, which it seems why, yeah, like we were saying, a lot of people, a lot of uh, Christians or those who believe in the fourth cause of Aristotle, the final cause, the teleos, the, the telos yes. of a person. That's why they'd have such a struggle with with taking on uh, someone like Kierkegaard. But I think what's we have to remember about Kierkegaard's project to use that term project is he's in a world that is this domineering world of just the, you know, preaching the objective truth of things and going by the book and deductive and all, in all of its forms. And he sees that the discontinue with a discontinuity with like the actual world in which people are living very contrary to whatever they're saying in church. And so he wants to um, get people to wake up. And to do that, he gets, he thinks, way outside the box to wake people up. So it seems like he's arguing on the wrong side of things, but only to bring people that much closer. It's almost like it, it's a wonderful life where Clarence, his name is Clarence, the angel, jumps into the, jumps into the water. And jump, by jumping in the water, he forces uh, George Bailey not to kill himself. And he's like, why'd you jump in the water? So you wouldn't kill yourself. So you had to save me. And like, it seems so contradictory for such a thing to happen. Um, but that's exactly how he saved uh, George from not, from not going through with it. So it seems like Kierkegaard is in that realm of like the type of person that would do something so weird like that, especially the way he um, uh, puts his, puts his uh, fiance away. No, I think that's a great uh, illustration. When he writes, um, I, the main book that he that a lot of postmodernists think that they're that Kierkegaard incepts in a way the the postmodern movement they think that you know Kierkegaard's the father of even postmodernism or something. Um, it's just a misunderstanding of what he writes in his book, um, concluding unscientific postscript. And I forget what pseudonym of his wrote that. But um, anyways, he does say subjectivity is truth. 
but it's in this particular kind of context and it's assuming the objectivity of truth. And, you know, what good is it to say there's a diamond, there's the diamond that is of most value on the ice that I need to get to, but you yourself are not willing to start walking on the ice because you're you're too scared it's too thin. Like, subjectivity being truth would be then you start walking on the ice towards that diamond of great value that your life depends on. And what Kierkegaard's interested in, you know, the Danish church was all about Lutheranism and, and holding up this, you know, theology and these dogmas, but they weren't actually living out the faith. And he's saying that you have to live it out. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, so that's what he was interested in. And, and it's kind of a different book that he starts addressing addressing the uh, truth of subjectivity. Idea. So with uh, Kierkegaard, he's like really big into despair. That's what he thinks is like the universal problem that everybody has. And this despair is this fact that you're not measuring up to who you're supposed to be, whether you're conscious that you're supposed to be somebody or you're not conscious you're supposed to be some, the person you're supposed to be. So – where would Rogers take up that task or what would he say is the universal struggle that he assumes that everybody deals with? He, yeah, he thinks it's despair. He would agree. Um, it's, it's the fact that you are not willing to be yourself. There's so many other people who don't want to be themselves. And his role as a psychologist is to, will, is to listen willingly and to say, well, why can't you be that? Why can't you be yourself? And to be authentic just by either lowering your standards and you know accepting yourself anyways. I think that Carl Rogers would say, no, absolutely, despair is the problem. Um, but how you solve it is not trying to disregard – or what Carl Rogers would say is the re- way you solve it is to disregard – your telos, your theological self, that self that God is calling you to be, disregard that and start accepting the self you are now. And and Carl Rogers sees despair as more of a psychological, and maybe that's not the best term, but a mere mental thing, where Kierkegaard says despair is a, a, is a uh, the one word that's coming to my mind is ontological, but it's it's it's, it's objective. It actually can happen. Despair uh, for Kierkegaard. One, everyone is in despair, and two, despair is a misrelation between yourself and yourself. You know, uh, and you know we are always living. We're always trying to live up to what God is calling us to be. Um, only Christ is the one who lived perfectly. But even him, in the night in which he was betrayed, he called out to the Lord saying, uh, let your cup pass from me. Because he had a current self. He also had his calling. His father ultimately called him to to dying on the cross, and he did that. But he was still in somewhat of a despair but he was actually the only one who was not in despair in ontologically or, you know, in objectivity. All right. So it seems like uh, Roger's solution to this whole issue is people are overthinking things. People are letting other people dictate how they should and should not feel. And people come up with all these crazy ideas uh, about how they should be and guard. I mean, uh, Rogers just goes, stop it. Stop it. Like, stop thinking this way or thinking this way. I think it was an old uh, skit, like a therapist who just said that to people. I forget whether even show that was on, but it was pretty funny. So, yeah, just stop it. Like, enough. He wouldn't say that, but he would challenge you to where you would begin to, begin to you know, question why you're even thinking this sort of way. So then what is Kierkegaard's solution to this problem of despair? Um. So I haven't explained his actual anthropology yet. I'll explain that real quickly just to understand because faith is the solution. And it's, you know, it's funny that um, the first part of Kierkegaard's book is um, 
he says, despair is the sickness unto death. That's the first part of the book. That's A. And then B is, oops, I passed it. Part two, um, despair is sin. And sin is theological in nature. And it's apparent that Carl Rogers did not really read much past part two. Um, so, and, and this is another insight that I think is very helpful. For Kierkegaard, you know, his subtitle to this book, A Christian Psychological Exposition for Upbuilding and Awakening. So, Sickness and the Death is, is a Christian psychological exposition. Kierkegaard does not think psychology is divorced from theology. And that is a very important uh, point that he he also he, he thinks that psychology is pre-evangelism. You you let people be in despair, notice their insufficiencies, notice their own emptiness in order not to give them a pill, not to tell them, hey, here, think through it with this, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not saying anything against pills or cognitive behavioral therapy, but he's saying despair could be a good thing if it leads us to God, if it hold, if it, if it calls us to the theological self, that person that I'm really supposed to be before God, and I need to know that misrelation and also be prodded on to move on it and to get closer to, to the person that God is calling me to be. Anyways, um, so Kierkegaard's uh, understanding of the person. Um, I really like that point you made about how psychology is, is pre-even, pre, you said pre-evangelical or pre-evangelism. I yeah. like that idea that in order for us to show Christ to, to many people, we have to um, understand what people are dealing with to some degree to be able to do that well. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty interesting thought, a way to think about psychology. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, know, don't know if we always make that connection, but you know, C.S. Lewis has that comment. Um, I'm probably going to butcher the phrase. You can probably say it better than me, but God whispers to us in our joys, speaks to us in our displeasures, and shouts in our pain. Yeah, um, pain, pain is God's is megaphone. God's yeah, yeah, I've heard that God's one. Megaphone. I've heard the other one. I forget exactly how they go, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it any better. Um, anyways, it's just the idea that God speaks to us when we're in pain and, you know, like, um, being a runner, there's a lot of people who pop ibuprofen before they start running because they know it's going to be painful. Um, because you know, they're going on a long run and I think that's a horrible idea because pain is a good thing. You can easily hurt yourself if you're not sensitive to pain points. You know, you could easily roll an ankle or hurt a tendon that's being stressed, but you don't know it because you're on pain meds. And why would you want to give someone who is in sorrow and depressed? Why would you want to give someone who's anxious? Why would you want to give someone who, um, I guess, is in despair a pill or a better way of thinking through things, if it is properly understood whether it should actually be there and it is pulling them toward God as the solution. I'm not saying that pills are bad. I'm not saying that cognitive behavioral therapy is bad. All I'm saying is there are certain times where even when our hormones are doing a good job, even when we're thinking about things really, you know, truly as the world is, we can still be sad. We are limited beings and God will pull us with faith through that. And um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think through psychology. I'm not a psychologist. 
I, I'm very curious about psychology after reading Kierkegaard, but I do think that currently, as psychology stands today, it is divorced from religion. And if we are, if we are ontologically spiritual beings, we will never be whole with worldly psychology because it's divorced of God. And if, if we get rid of the church and if we get rid of confessing our sins to one another— if we get rid of counseling one another and coaching one another and discipling one another, you have to probably run to, to medicine cabinets and different ways of thinking things because, you know, I think God wants us to be limited and meek, you know. Anyway, so, so that's kind of a, a sermon in itself. But Kierkegaard understands that psychology is a theological kind of thing. And um, we, we are not just beings, but we are beings before God. And um, that's significant. Um, real, real quickly, before uh, I get too far more, I, I, I want to keep on, I want to get back to just reading real quickly the first bit of Kierkegaard's Sickness Unto Death. Um, and it's where he explains what a human being is. Um, the first part is quite abstract, but then the second part will be helpful. And I, I don't think I have to explain the first part. A human being is spirit, but what is spirit? Spirit is the self, but what is the self? The self is a relation that relates itself to itself or is a relations relating itself to itself in the relation. The self is not the relation but is the relations relating to itself? And this is the more important part. A human being is the synthesis of the infinite and the finite, of the temporal and the eternal, of freedom and necessity. In short, a synthesis. So what Kierkegaard understands is every human being is the paradox or is the synthesis of finitude and infinitude. So Sam Peters has a body, right? He, he, he's finite in some way and he's limited. But guess what? Sam Peters also has these aspirations that are eternal. Um, and I have a soul that is immortal. I long to be something that I'm not. And every single person always struggles to become the person that they are, I guess, called to be. And I think every person either, I think if people are self-aware, every person going to sleep will be a little bit discouraged with themselves because they did not become the, themse- they, they, they have not become the self, which they truly are. And, that's part of the human um, condition, you know? Yeah. And it I makes think me that's think the about, problem. think uh, about two instances. So like whenever, remember one, whenever uh, Michael Phelps uh, just, just mopped up at the uh, Olympics, he went home and like fell into a really deep depression because I, I probably for various reasons, but I think one of the reasons was there he was at the pinnacle of like all that he's been working for and he actually got it. And then he was like, well, what's next? You know, like I'm there, so, but it doesn't feel great. It feels like I'm missing something. And that, that hollowness of even achieving, so, you know, not of all, hardly any of us are going to be able to achieve what he's done to be able to put your mind to it that hard and have such a team behind him, pushing him to do that and supporting him to do that. But even him like going out and to, grabbing that goal even at the end of all that he just thinks that he, you know you, you how do you fall into despair after that unless as i think again c.s lewis said you know if i find myself not satisfied with the delights of below then that points to that my soul desires something that earth cannot be sat that cannot be satisfied by earth i'm butchering that one but that whole idea that um if we can't find anything on earth to satisfy us, it means that we're made for something else. 
And I think he does that. Yeah. It's this longing in you that is unquenchable because you are infinity in a way. So, um, anyways, I, I, I'm now realizing that I probably talk too much, but, um, there's this idea of the self is the paradox. It is the synthesis of the infinite and the finite. And how, how do you overcome that? It's through faith in God because Kierkegaard says with God, all things are possible. And obviously he's quoting, um, when you trust in God, you can become what he created you to be. And that is very helpful to me, knowing that you know, every day I wake up, I cannot become everything I am wanting to be. And I do need to make sure that I, it's not my own self that I've created that I'm striving to be, but it's actually what God is wanting of me. And oftentimes... Um, you know, I, uh, I know that my desires are not aligned with that theological self and that's a part of despair. And if I'm not aware of it, it's unconscious. Um, again, despair is not just a a psychological or phenomenological thing. It's, uh, it's objective. Anyways, faith is the way you solve it. How does Carl Rogers believe it? Um, well, you solve it by letting go of the infinite and being okay with the you know finitude, or, or, or letting go of the um, yeah, go, letting go of the necessity and being okay with the possibility. Right. Um, yeah. So after all so, of this and looking at Kierkegaard, do you feel like you have more affinity towards him, or do you feel like? He got a little weird this time, and you were a little, little disappointed. Yeah, it's you know when I write these, and I was, you know I think for this paper I was up all night, probably twice. No, I think with this paper I was up all night once, and there are times where you know it's two o'clock in the morning, and you're reading Kierkegaard, and you're like. Yeah, I know he, you know, wrote what 200 years ago in a different language, but his thinking is so different. And he's, you know, I like things, you know, I I think we discussed it before. I'm more of a philosopher. I like things to be exact, not poetic. I don't really want him to make me think. I just want him to tell me how it is. Tell me what it is he's saying. But he's going to hop around. And he's going to give a lot of illustrations and bring in something that you're, you know, unaware of. Anyways, I've been affirmed with Kierkegaard and probably more than I ever have been. But even as, you know, dad read my paper and he gave me some comments on it. And afterwards, dad said, yeah, great paper, Sam. You know, see my comments. Hey, I really want to read Kierkegaard now. What books do you recommend? And it's just like, Dad, I he's very difficult to understand. Um, I would suspect that some of our listeners know Russell Moore. Russell Moore, in one of his endorsements of Kierkegaard, said, I always suggest reading the person themselves rather than an interpretation of the person, except when it comes to Kierkegaard. I will always recommend uh, someone interpreting a biography, someone explaining his thought, because it is difficult to understand. Um, I'm not sure where I'm at, but um, I, I am affirmed that he has such valuable thoughts, but I'm also weary of how difficult and how packaged his thoughts are um, in, in such a way that it's hard to open the package. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's pretty interesting because I think that's one of the struggles with what we're trying to do and getting people to read more of these great books and think about these great ideas and like the best way to go about it. And I mean, we had that discussion a while ago about should we read stuff before reading the works or just read the works themselves? Or even when we uh, talked with uh, Dr. Woods 
And he said, you know, the best is to read it, to understand it, then come to class. And that's when you're most ready to learn. And um, I think, uh, I'm not sure. I think, you know, you should you should find somebody. And it sounds like Stephen Evans is the, the guy to, to really help understand him. You should at least have that guy close by or some of his works close by whenever you're reading Kierkegaard in case you just get so lost with him. Because obviously there is, there seemed to be something in Kierkegaard that he's good on his own merits where someone, you know, Mike Rogers seems to just hijack Kierkegaard just to show his, for his own particular personal stuff that we shouldn't, you know, people do that with all kinds of other people that aren't actually useful, but they're just useful for their particular point of view. And it seems that Kierkegaard is actually good on his own merits, but coming to him, we have to kind of go, all right, I'm jumping into a whole new world here and I got to figure out the assumptions and the style which I always enjoy. Like I really enjoy sci-fi and fantasy for that particular reason is, and I love sci-fi fantasy. That's that, that isn't over explained. Like I want to figure it out. Like that to me is the most fun is that when I'm reading a book and like things are happening or whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, why is this happening? Or what is this? And then like, Oh wait, hold on. This just happened to this that that's what it is. And so you like, you get to like learn about it and like jump in that world, um, which is cool. So I, I, yeah, I, I think I am going to jump in with Kierkegaard and read one of his works. I might, I might read a sickness into the death. That seems to be a pretty, a pretty uh, magnificent book, but I'm still interested in his whole thing on uh, the Abraham story and divine command theory. Cause I just taught that in class and I had a few insights as I was teaching it, particularly when the narrator, Moses, you know, says, now God was to test Abraham. And I think there's a lot there in that line to help us understand the rest of the story. But that's for another time. So, And if, oh. if, if you ever want to investigate that, I would highly recommend Stephen Evans' most recent uh, – he published it through Oxford Press. It's called um, – uh, divine command theory and moral obligation or Kierkegaard's concept of, I forget what it's called, but just look up um, Stephen Evans' work on it. And he, he makes a good argument that Kierkegaard is a, a responsible divine command theorist. And um, he does understand that God is going to command the good. And there's a lot of research recently on divine command theory that it's actually um, – God, you can trust God is going to command something with with a eudaimonic vision of the world. Gotcha. And it, it's going to go towards the person's flourishing. So, like, it's not always arbitrary. That's the biggest people's concern. You know, it's always arbitrary. Right. Uh, maybe that's a different podcast. But anyway, Stephen Evans does a very good job on that particular uh, topic. Hmm. Hmm. So, what what are some like after this paper, has this prompted you to think about another area of study or another question you want to ask in your, in your research or in your, uh, yeah, in your journey as a student? Yeah, I, uh, I am, I'm definitely more interested in psychology right now um, because I am having, you know, quite, I think with COVID-19, people are really, People, some people are really hurting. And one thing that I'm realizing is people love certainty. And that's in a way they love infinity. They hate their finitude. They hate the, I, the, the understanding. They, they're finite. They have a limited knowledge of the world. And, you know, the Lord says, um, you know, I am going to lead you by green pastures, but also down in valleys. And it's this idea that part of the human condition is we are going to deal with our finitude. And I am just really impressed with his understanding that we have to deal with our limited nature. And that includes knowledge. And when so many people want to know um, am I going to get the virus or what do I believe? Should I get the vaccine or not? Um, even, you know, good, faithful Christian brethren 
and you see kind of a lack of faith. And you realize that they have been believing, having faith in these doctrines, the objectivity. But when it comes down to subjectivity, it's like, should I really step on the ice? I know the diamond is of great value, but I'm not really sure if I should step on the ice because I'm not certain. And that psychology for me is very intriguing. And I want to help people know it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be anxious. Trust in God. I'm not saying that that is going to lead you away, but there's a certain kind of despair that is good. You know, in Kierkegaard, in one of his journal entries, he said, sorrow is nostalgia of the divine. Sorrow is the nostalgia of the divine. It's like when we are sad, we're actually longing to go home. We're actually homesick in a way. And feeling sad or, or feeling a little bit anxious, that could we could aim that towards God and towards prayer. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm Abe, you asked me, what are my takeaways? These are new areas of interest to me that I want to investigate because I don't want to be the person who says, God's the only answer. Don't worry about pills. Don't worry about the different way of thinking through things. But there could be a legitimate place for faith in psychology, and how could we cultivate that at church? And I think one huge area, and it goes kind of with Carl Rogers, is being able to confess your sins before others. I think there that is a lot of therapy. And we don't do that, at least not within my heritage, because I think that we're just afraid of the Catholic Church and it was required then. But um, James says it, confess your sins to one another. And I think that there, there's, a, there's a therapeutic element to that that we aren't getting and we might be running to medicine cabinets or other books because we're not getting that. So those are the kind of the things that I've been thinking about after this book or after this essay, after reading. Yeah, Kierkegaard. it seems like a, a, a pretty fascinating uh, place to be. I think especially since um, psychology has become so humanist and its orientation, just atheist probably is a better way of thinking it in its orientation at, and a lot of times there's just nothing at the bottom of that stuff. Like it's all just like, it's, it can be helpful. Um, but is it lasting helpfulness? I think is the, the issue there. So we uh, appreciate you all so much for listening to this podcast. Be sure to, um, review this podcast Give us five stars on Apple. That always really, really helps us. And um, tell, tell your friends about this. We're going to be more consistent about our uh, about our episodes and trying to get it more out there. And we've got a better plan kind of going forward. So we really do appreciate all of the support we've gotten and those who've, who said, you know, hey, it was a good episode or uh, I'm really getting a lot out of it. We love hearing that. So if you want to reach out to us on uh, Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. But uh, hey, you all take care and we will see you guys in the uh, next one.